college football fans do we have out here? Anybody? Yeah, a couple, like seven of y'all maybe. All right, cool. Listen, I love college football. College football is way better than the stuff they play on Sundays. I don't care what any of y'all say, um, even though my Razorbacks got demolished yesterday. But, hey, we knew that was going to happen, all right? So, um, but yesterday was, this week in college football was crazy. There was four top ten teams that got beat by an unranked team. Like, that doesn't happen. Like, how does that happen? Like, you're one of the top ten, the best teams in the country, and then this team that doesn't, isn't ranked comes in and beats you. How does that happen? Like, it's, it's impressive. Um, so this week I was just watching some of these uh, clips after the games, clips before the games, just uh, of the coaches talking to their teams. And right before these games that they have, these coaches come in and they try to pump up their team with these pre, pre-game speeches. And they're very motivational. Um, and they just want to pump them up. They, they've been practicing real hard to get to this game, and now it's time for their mind to shift from this practice mode to now we're in the game. Now we're ready to go. Now we're ready to play. Um, you, and you hear about these pregame speeches a lot. So there's some famous ones. Um, so uh, this movie that I like, it's called Miracle on Ice. I don't know if any of y'all have ever seen that, but it's about the uh, 1980 uh, hockey uh, Olympic team. They're going in, they're playing the Soviets. The Soviets were the best team in the world. Uh, probably like pound for pound best team out of any sport ever to play this team was. Um, and then uh, the, the U.S.'s coach, uh, his name is Herb, and I just lost his last name. But uh, he goes in before the game, and he tells the team, hey, if we play this team, this is for the gold medal, if we play this team ten times, they probably beat us nine. But not today. Today we're the best team. And, you know, it really got in the players' heads. They went out there, they played the best game ever, and they won the gold medal. Um, there was this, this, this mind shift from... Hey, we're going in. We're, we got to play this team, which is great. To now, they come in and say, "Hey, we are better than this team. We are going to win." Uh, being around Notre Dame, I, I mean, I can't forget about the "win one for the Gip" speech. I think the 1920s people still think of that one. Um, Rudy probably helps with that. But you know, we're going to get them from the left and then them right, and outside, inside. And I don't even know. I, I'm not. A, I'm not a Notre Dame guy. I like real football, SEC football. No, you know. No, so I figured people were going to start throwing stuff. I was ready to dodge. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so that's uh, those speeches. It just gets the players fired up. It gets their mind to shift from the time of practice to now it's game time. Now we got to go out there and, and practice, and we got we got to play like we practice. A um, couple of speeches I remember from like me growing up and stuff. Uh, I think it was probably my junior year in high school. Um, we we're football playing football. Uh, we traveled to Mountain View, which was about an hour away from where I grew up to, to play a team, and it was a team that. We, we had a chance to win, but we were predicted to lose by, you know, a couple of touchdowns probably. And so we get out there, and it was terrible conditions. There was this huge blizzard. We probably had an inch of snow on the ground. Um, I'm from Arkansas again. So uh, an inch of snow on the ground. It was freezing cold. I'm pretty sure it was like negative 78 degrees outside that day. And so we're all, like, bundled up in the locker room wearing long sleeves and stuff. And uh, our wide receivers coach, Coach Scarborough, comes out, and he pulls us together, and he's like, Y'all, y'all play, practiced hard this week. Y'all know the game plan. We know how to beat this team. We've planned that out. The practices this week have been great. Um, but when we go out there, y'all don't need to focus on the weather. Y'all just need to focus on executing the game plan. When y'all get out there, this is the Bahamas. It's 75 degrees. Y'all are warm. And, like, we're, we're all young and dumb, so we're like, we're like, yeah, yeah. And we start ripping off our long sleeves, and we go out there in short sleeves, and, like, um, and it was cold. But, you know, we're looking across the other side, and all of them are bundled up, and they, they got these long sleeve shirts on, and they're shaking, and we're trying not to shake, but, you know, we're in short sleeves trying to look real tough, 
And we went out there, and we, we won the game in, like, in overtime. I think it was a really close game, probably the best game that that team ever played. Um, and we went out there and won the game. But we had this mind shift from, man, it's cold. It's, there's a lot of all these other factors going on to, uh, now it's time to play. Now we're ready. Now we're pumped up. We're excited. And probably the most motivational pregame speech I ever had. I don't know that words were even spoke at it. Um, so coming out of the Marine Corps, um, in all of your entry-level Marine uh, schools, one of the last things that you're going to do is a, a drill competition. So where you march around, you do all the popping sticks is what we call it, moving the rifles around, uh, going through drill manual. Um, and this is like a very motivational time. Like Marines take that stuff seriously. Like we, we, we really are focused on a lot of those things because it shows discipline. And, and you want to show that we were the most disciplined platoon there was. And so we're, we're all getting ready. You know, we got these nerves in us because uh, – who knows what the drill instructors are going to do to us if we lose? Like, I mean, that, that could be scary in itself. So we're standing there. We're getting ready. And Gunnery Sergeant Mercado comes out, and he yells at us to get to the back of the squad bay. So we all sprint back there with our rifles. And he comes out there, and he's got a big, like, broom handle in his hand, and he's got an apple in the other hand. So, you know, it's, it's scary already. And so... Uh, he walks around, he's looking at us, giving us that mean look that only a, a drill instructor can give you, and he starts hitting that stick on the ground, and just makes a steady beat with it. And before you know it, we're hitting our rifle, the butts of our rifles on the ground, and so it's just like the slow clap, and we're all getting excited, and then he grabs the biggest candidate out of the, the room and brings him to the center, and he hands him the apple, and he puts it in his hands, and he starts squeezing his hands. And so you can see the candidate, he's squeezing that apple as hard as he can. And Gunnar Sergeant Mercado's just staring at him, just shaking his head. And you can just see this look on his face, and you're like, I'm worried about what is about to happen. So he rips the apple out of his hand, and he starts screaming and squeezing it. And the next thing you know, all you see is this apple juice just falling out of it. And I don't know how he did it, but he like basically squeezed that apple in half. Um, it, maybe it's a magic trick that Steve can teach me later, but it, it was incredible. And like by the end of that, we were just, we were fired up, we were ready to go. We went out there and probably did the best drill movements we had ever done in our entire lives. Very sharp, very crisp. Um, but it was a good time to change our mindset from this is what we've done in practice to know that, hey, we're ready, we're motivated, we're fired up. We're ready to, to get into this competition and go. Um, and as I was studying the scripture this week, I couldn't help but feel like that's sort of what um, Paul was doing in Romans chapter 12. Uh, in Romans chapter 12... Uh, Paul is, is, is speaking to the Romans. He's writing this letter to the Romans. And I really feel like he's, he's telling them, all right, it's time to take what we focused on in, in practice and um, take it to effect. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. Um, if you all want to go ahead and turn to Romans 12, 1 through 2. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all you do for us. And we just thank you for gathering us here together, Lord, just to worship and serve you. Um, Lord, we just want to uh, ask that you would just help us to keep our minds focused on just uh, making a tangible difference for you and, and doing what it is that you've called us to do, Lord. Um, Lord, be with me today as I bring the word and just, uh, just speak through me so that uh, we would just hear your, your voice, Lord, and uh, nothing that I'm going to stumble through. In your name we pray, amen. So in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, Paul's writing this letter and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
not by testing you may not uh, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as I was saying, Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, um, and I'm going to steal a terrible joke from uh, Pastor Mota since he's not here. But one of the first things you see in there is the word therefore. A couple of weeks ago, he said, when you see the word therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. Yeah, it's bad. Y'all can tell him it's bad. Um, so uh, luckily here, Paul sort of gives us an idea of what that's saying. But we're going to go ahead and look back to uh, the first 11 chapters of Romans and sort of get an idea of what Paul's talking about here, why, why this is therefore. So we're going to go through 11 chapters in about a minute and a half. So bear with me. All right, so... Paul had just finished one of his missionary journeys. So Paul's traveling the world, planting churches, um, leading people to Christ. He's going around and spreading the gospel. And he had just finished one of his missionary journeys. And he's uh, decided he's got a little bit of time. He's going to write this letter to the Romans. So a couple of things he wants to tell the Romans here. One is he has intentions of going to Rome. He hasn't been to Rome yet. But he wants to go to Rome and he wants to talk to them. He wants to spread the gospel there. Um, and there's already Christians in Rome. There's already an established church in Rome. And so he's writing this letter to them um, and just sort of giving them his intent that he wants to come. The problem is when you haven't been someplace, um, but you've been all over the pl- place everywhere else, like word starts to travel and things get spread about you. Um, now, Paul's mission was to the Gentiles. Um, and so if you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. So Paul's speaking to everyone else. Um, and so there's these Jews that have heard what Paul's saying and th- like, they're, they're not real happy about some of the things that he said. Um, they feel like maybe, maybe he's, uh, he's taken away from, um, the, from Judaism. Um, but Paul is writing this letter because he wants to explain to the people of Rome. He, he's saying, hey, I just want to tell you and clarify some of the things that I've said so that you understand what I actually believe. Um, and, and don't necessarily hear some of these slanderous things. And as soon as I get there, start throwing rocks at me. So um, Paul's writing this letter. Um, but there's some other things that have gone on in Rome. So um, historically, as I said, Rome had an established church. This, the church was very Jewish in ethnicity. Um, and so a lot of the things that they were doing, they were meeting in synagogues. Um, and a lot of the, the way they were practicing Christianity had a, a Jewish flair to it, if you will. And, and so um, in 49 AD, Claudius, who was the emperor of Rome, kicks all the Jews out of Rome. So that doesn't mean if they're a practicing Jew, whether they're a Jewish Christian, he kicks them all out of Rome. Um, one of the reasons he did this, there was a lot of infighting between that group about this guy. If you look in your history books, they call him Christus. So we know that to be the Christ. So there was a lot of infighting about who is this guy, the Christ. So the Jews get kicked out, but the Gentile Christians, they get to stay there. And so uh, the church takes this dramatic shift um, to, from where they're practicing in the synagogues to now, it's not necessarily happening in the synagogues, but they're going out into the poor parts of the city. Um, they're, they're meeting in homes. Um, and so the, the Christian religion sort of takes a, a change from what it looked like before to, to this more Gentile flair uh, of Christianity, if you will. Um, after, uh, uh, after Claudius excuse me, died, uh, the Jews were allowed to come back into the city. But they were coming back into a, a church that looked a lot different. And so there was a lot of room for infighting with these people um, and a lot of room for arguing. And especially now that they've been hearing some of these things that Paul's been saying to these Gentiles, it's, it's causing a little bit more chaos. So this letter is hoping to bring, Paul's hoping to bring some unity to these Christians here in Rome. Um, and so what he wants them to get the point of is that, 
hey, you may be from a, a Jewish descent, you may be from a Gentile descent, but if we have Christ, we're all the same. Listen, we're all sinners. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But now, because we have Christ's blood on us, we're all the same. And that's the point that he's wanting them to get out of this, that, that they are all the same. Um, and so hope, hopefully by, by bringing that unity together and by bringing uh, that will keep those rifts from happening. But the big thing that he wants them to understand here is that they've all sinned. They've all screwed up. And none of them deserve what Christ has done for them. But it's because of the mercy that Christ has given them that they're able to serve together and they're able to come together in unity. Um, and so if you look back at, the, at uh, verse 1 there, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So he's saying because of the mercy that God's shown you, that's why I'm, I'm going to give you this challenge that I'm about to give you. And that challenge is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Um, so because God sent his, in, his, his son to die for us while we are still his enemies, we have this mercy um, that, that he's, uh, he's, he's given us. Um, so in response to this mercy, God challenges them to present their bodies. Now, notice the word he uses, present. Um, he could have used the word surrender. He could have used the word yield. Those are both like words you'll find in, all through the Bible. But he uses the word present. Um, and there's a reason he does that. If I present Kim with some flowers... She, uh, that was nice. That was on my own accord. I'll get you flowers later, I promise. Um, but if I present her with flowers, that's of my own accord. If I, she doesn't want me to surrender her flowers or to, to yield her flowers. That just doesn't, I mean, that's terrible, right? So this is a free thing that he's wanting us to do. He's wanting us, because of God's mercies, we're supposed to present our bodies um, as, a, as a holy sacrifice. Now, he talks about bodies. This is your whole person. This isn't just um, while, while we should give our tithes, while we, we should do um, other acts of, of things. He, he's telling us it's our entire bodies. It's everything about us that he's wanting us to, to give to them. Um, and so he wants our bodies to be a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice. Um, so in the Old Testament, it talks about sacrifices. So the, the Jews and, and probably the Gentiles to some extent knew what he was talking about with sacrifice. When they would take a sacrifice, they would take an animal, and there was very specific rules on what you were to do with that animal, to sacrifice it um, to, to God. Um, but he's saying, I'm not asking you to give, give this dead animal anymore. I'm asking you to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Um, and so, uh, and he wants us to be that sacrifice. Um, we're supposed to live to die. Uh, and one of the things that I, I kept thinking about as I was reading this scripture, I'm a big fan of the musical Hamilton. I don't know if any of y'all have ever listened to that. But one of my, my favorite lines in there, um, so George Washington is trying to get Hamilton to join him in, uh, this, in, during the Revolutionary War. Hamilton wants to be on the front lines. He wants to be out there fighting and battling. Um, but George Washington's like, no, I need somebody with your tactical mind that can write these things out and help me correspond to, to all my, my troops. Um, and Hamilton's like, listen, I will die for this country if I have to. And, and George Washington says, uh, dying is easy, son. Living is harder. And so many of us in here, we may be willing to, to go and, and die for God. If someone was to walk through the door right now with a gun and point at your head and say, do you believe in God? I'm sure a big chunk of us would be like, yes, absolutely. 
and we'd be willing to do that. Um, so I'm going to challenge all of it today. Maybe that's the easier thing to do than just living for God. Um, so dying is easy, son. Living is harder. Um, but Paul is saying that he wants us to have a, a living sacrifice. We're, be, we're to be a holy sacrifice, that we're wholly dedicated, that we're set apart, um, dedicated to what, and fully abandoned to what God has in store for us. And then he also says, and acceptable. The, the, um, throughout the Bible, you'll read about the, the offerings being acceptable. When, when it talks about Cain and Abel giving their, uh, their offering at the beginning, one was acceptable, one wasn't, and that caused a big problem between the two, right? Um, but we want to make sure that, that the way we're living our lives is acceptable to God, that we're, we're trying to um, work on those things that are going to help us get closer to God. So living, holy, and acceptable. This brings us to point one. The only reasonable response to everything God has done for you is to offer him your life. The only reasonable response to everything God has done for you is to offer him your life. Because of these mercies, because God sent his son to die for you, while you were, were still sinning, while you were out living the life that, that you lived, God sent his son to die for you so that you have a chance, that you... You can overcome that sin. Um, and the only reasonable response to that is to give our life to him. Um, and it's not just that that's the only reasonable response, but Paul says that's what true worship is. He said this, is, this sacrifice is truly worshiping God. And I'll be honest, church people have problems. That's surprising, I know. But one of those problems is um, we, we treat our worship like it's only a Sunday morning thing. We come to church, we worship God on Sunday morning, we leave, and we, we just sort of forget about it. We sort of treat uh, the church like an, like an info table or an info desk. You go up, you get some information, you take that information, you get where you're, like, to the, the next destination, and you're done. You forget about it. There's no relationships being built. There's no um, serving that's happening. But the church is, it's, we're supposed to be in worship 24-7. Everything we do is supposed to be in worship to God. Um, and so we, we can worship God when we show love to others. Um, Pastor Muta talked last week about uh, the, the, the story about wh- which, one is, is, uh, which one was his neighbor, talking about the Good Samaritan. And it was the one that helped. But honestly, like, some of us want to talk about, you know, well, who is my neighbor? But we don't even know who our actual next-door neighbor is. I mean, in, in all honesty, like, how many times have, when was the last time you went and had a conversation with your, your next door neighbor? I know some, some people are like looking at me because they have some neighbors that maybe they wish they didn't know. But, um, <laughs> but uh, when was the last time that you actually went out and talked to your neighbor, invited them over to eat, um, or, or did something for them? Um, what about like, when was the last time that you just sat down and just played with your kids? Listen, my kids are annoying. But... But still, uh, I, I want to get down and want to play with them. I, I can worship God through that. Um, something, uh, we just had a baby, and people were just bringing us food. Like, our refrigerator is still, like, full of just leftovers. Like, I don't know that we're going to have to buy groceries for, like, a year. Um, but people were, were worshiping God and, and serving us. And, and if you were one of those people, I just want to say thank you up here. Uh, appreciate y'all, everyone that, that did something for us during that time. Um, but these are all acts of worship. Um, and so what, what we're getting at here is th- these things aren't that hard to do. 
Um, you can go out and you can make a tangible difference in someone's life. Um, it, it could also even be as simple as, I mean, we all go out to eat during lunch every day, right? And maybe you go to the same place every day. Like, what, that waitress that's always serving you food, maybe you can bless her in some way. Just talk to her. Ask her how her day is going. Um, maybe it's when you go to the bank and cash your check every Friday. I mean, you, you see the same teller every Friday. Talk to them. Get to know them. Build those relationships. Uh, even the smile on your face could just brighten someone's day so that um, they, it just changes what they're doing. But um, our thoughts, our emotions, our wills, um, they're all to be given over to God. Um, and that's our only reasonable response to everything God has done for us. Um, it's just doing everything that we do in worship to God. Um, we, we bring Pedro up a lot, but it's because we see Pedro acting this out. Uh, if you go, ever go to Pedro's shop, uh, Pedro, any, everybody that walks through the door, hey, this is my pastor, this is Pastor Muth, this is Pastor Derek. Uh, and then he's always pointing out his baptism certificate in the back. But, I mean, that's something that Pedro does, and it's just awesome that you can just see that, even, I mean, Pedro is ministering to people that I will never get to talk to, that won't, wouldn't give me the time of day. Um, and, of course, he, he's like, you know, I'll, I'll make this more painful if you don't, you know. No, he's not doing that. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's, that's uh, Pedro's out there, and he's, he's spreading the gospel. He's, he's worshiping even in his day-to-day life. Thank you for that, Pedro. It really, it's, I mean, it, it, it helps me so much to see that and to see that people are actually out there doing that. So um, continue on to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, so the world's philosophy is it's pretty simple. Or it's simple, excuse me. It's sim- simple to maybe. Um, it's pretty simple. It, it's go out. It's get get what you want. It's I deserve this. Um, it's uh, it, it's it's a popularity contest. Listen, it, it's not it's not about how I can serve this person, but it's what can they do for me. Um, and that's a lot of what the world thinks and, and does. Um, but and and so many of us get conformed to that thinking as well. That we're we're just focused on what is it that this person can do for me instead of how how can I serve this other person. Um, point number two is presentable bodies come from changed minds because the mind controls the body. Presentable bodies come from changed mind because, minds because the mind controls the body. When you're out serving people, when you're out doing things, why are you doing those things? Um, are you conforming your thoughts to the world? Or are you conforming them to other things? Are you... Are you not serving that person because it might be uncomfortable? Um, if, if you're living in just your, your comfy, middle-class, um, just safe day-to-day walk, maybe, that's time, maybe it's time for you to step out of that and, and, and go to something that's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable um, and, and to, to cha- just be challenged in that. Um, but this isn't something that the minute you know you're, you're saved, that like everything just changes. This is a lifelong process that you're going to go through. Um, believe it or not, I sin every day. Uh, it's shocking, right? No, it's not. Um, it, it's not. I, I sin daily, and uh, it's a lifelong process of something that I'm working towards. There's times when I'm like that, uh, that priest that, that comes up and sees the guy hurt on the ground and just like, I got something else to do, and keeps going. 
I'm so task-oriented that all the time I'll be thinking, I need to go move that chair, and then I'll just bypass the 50 people that's sitting in this room right now in order to go move that chair. I won't talk to you. I, I'm like, I got to go get, take care of this. And then it's not like a, I'll move that chair, then I'll come back. Then it's, I'm on to the next task. Um, that's me. I'm, I'm very task-oriented, very focused on getting something else done that I just completely miss people. And for that, I, I apologize, and I'm sorry for that. Um, and it's something that I'm definitely trying to work on. I'm, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help me with those things, to help me see, uh, be uh, compassionate and empathetic. Um, so those are definitely things that I'm working on. But this is a lifelong process. It's not something that's just going to change overnight. Um, and a lot of times when, when we get in those mindsets, um, we, we got these ruts in our brain. And so it's easy for us just to get back, right back into that rut. Um, and so we have to keep working at these things. Um, the, the process, uh, uh, the person transformed by the renewing of their mind, they're, but they're able to um, see when they've done those things, and they're able to have the Holy Spirit discern and help them to work through these things. So you're not doing it on your own. The Holy Spirit's there to help you. But we have to change the way we think, and changing the way we think changes the way we live. Um, so what does all this look like, though, in practice? Um, so uh, a, a lot of times um, we read this scripture, and it's pretty familiar, and we're like, okay, yeah, i got to change my mind. And, and then we, we sort of just leave it at that. Um, Jesus also gives us a pregame speech um, in in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Um, and this is another very familiar scripture. Um, and Jesus, this is Jesus, this is the last thing that he said to the disciples before he left the earth. He had already been crucified. He had already been buried. He had already raised again. And now he's about to ascend back into heaven. Um, this is the very last thing that he says to his disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So these are important words, um, and we hear them a lot in church. They do become kind of familiar to us. Um, But the last thing that Jesus said to us is probably one of the most important things that he ever said to us. So go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. Those four verbs there. Now, I'll be honest, growing up... um, I always put some of the emphasis on the wrong words in here. Um, so as I read this, the first word, go, that was, that was me. And that still is me. I'm very task-oriented. Go. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go get things done. Some of us look at this and think, go? Where does he want me to go to? I don't want to go to, to Africa or Honduras or, or any of these places. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable here. Go isn't where the emphasis is in this verse. As, as uh, Jesus was saying this to them, the, the emphasis was on make disciples. So that's what it's supposed to look like for us. That we're supposed to go make disciples. Um, so really, as he was saying this, the emphasis probably sounded more like this. As you go, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. So what, what's that look like when you, when you go to work? Um, when you go to work, are you, are you working to, to just to get ends meet and to get that, that paycheck at the end of the week? Or are you going focused on making disciples? We need to have a mind shift there. Um, when, when you go to school, are you, are you going to school to, to get that education? Uh, you should be. But also, I mean, that school is a, is a ministry field for you. 
Um, so when, when that new kid comes to school, are, are you the one that's, that's going up to them saying, hey, let me introduce myself. Let me show you my friends here. Let me take you to them. Um, are you the one that's just like, I don't want to mess with them. I already got my friends. Um, now, one of the things that I want to caution against here, um, this isn't something that we, we should go and like uh, force down someone's throat. What I'm, I'm trying to say here is that we just need to live for God while we're at work. We need to, to serve him. We need to worship him while we're at work. And it's all a part of a mindset. Um, that Monday morning, uh, we, we all have it. If you work Monday through Friday, you're like, oh, it's Monday again, and I have to be here, and today's going to be the longest day ever, and I don't want to be here. And then you just sit at your desk and for like the first 30 minutes like this. And uh, it it's, it's just makes not only your day miserable, but those people around you miserable. What if you came in and, uh, you know, when you first start talking, you like ask people, hey, how was your weekend? What did you do this weekend? Hey, let's go get lunch together. Let's, let's do life together um, as, as we're here. Um, now, uh, it, it's, it's, we can't go out and be like, I made the joke, this joke earlier, but listen, I'll give you this tattoo, and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change your skin, but let me, let's talk about, let's change your life before we change your skin. I mean, you can do that, but we, we need to make sure that we, we're, um, we're not trying to beat it down their throat as well. Um, Jerry's not going to say, hey, uh, I'd love to, we're not going to work on your car until we worked on your life and figured it out yet, okay? So we, uh, but we just need to be doing life with these people. We need to be serving with these people as we, we go along. Um, so in part, like, God gives you your vocation, um, not just to, to make, make ends meet, but it's also so that you can go out and serve him, that you can network these relationships, that you can build these relationships so that you can serve him through serving these other people. Um, and one of the ways we can do that is through making disciples. Um, your profession just naturally puts you in contact with people that some of the other people in church aren't ever going to meet. Naturally puts you in contact with people that, of their own volition, are never going to step foot in this church. They, they, they need somebody to invite them. Um, and this is what um, uh, Jesus says about this in John fifteen eight. He says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And that brings us to point three. Um, making disciples is the central element for, uh, of the mission for every believer. Let me read that again. Making disciples is the central element of the mission for every believer. So whatever it is that you're doing each day, um, how are you making disciples? Who are those people that you're walking along with? Um, and just and, and serving alongside of, and the mission in that needs to be, listen, how can I help them get closer to God? How can I plant that seed? Um, so in the scripture here also, Jesus, uh, he, he puts a, a, a very strong emphasis in, in all this as well. Um, he says, uh, lost it, sorry, um, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus talks in here, um, and a lot of times some of us are, are thinking, you know, I just I don't know how to share my faith. I don't, know, I don't know what to say to these people. I don't know how to encourage these people 
to, to grow in faith. Um, but Jesus gives us uh, a means to identify ourselves. When we baptize people, we baptize them in the, in the name of the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He, he wants us to have this name tag on us that, that we're not doing this by ourselves. We're doing this with him. We're doing it with him. Um, and so that's why Jesus sort of gives us this, this uh, challenge that when we do this, we do it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It goes back to what Paul was saying. Because of the mercy that God show us, showed us, that's why we're out there serving. That's why we're out there doing this. Um, point number four is Jesus came to save and to serve, and we join him on this mission. So you're not in this alone. Jesus is here to serve alongside of you. All right. this, is, this is Jesus doing the work. We're just joining him on this mission. John 3.16, God sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but will have eternal life. God sent his son to the earth um, so that uh, we could have this eternal life. That was, that was a mission that Jesus was on. We're just supposed to join him in this mission. John 20 and 21 um, says, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He's sending us Christians on this, this journey to join him in this work. Um, we're not doing it on our own, but we're doing it on them, with him. Um, John Piper said this, and I think we got this on the screen as well. Um, he says, we don't go in our own strength. We go in the authority of the one who created and redeemed the world. We go in the authority of the one who created and redeemed the world. Um, Listen, standing up here isn't easy. Uh, it's, it goes definitely against my, my natural reactions. Uh, I'm more of an administrative, operational guy. Um, but I know that I'm not standing up here by myself. That I have someone here with me that's, that's leading me and that's, that's helping me through all this. Um, when you go to work and you have that Monday morning attitude, hey, you're not going to work by yourself. You got the Holy Spirit guiding you along and, and leading you through. Um, and, and so we need to remember that as we're talking to these people, as we're serving others, that I know I got to step out of my comfort zone, but I'm not doing this alone. I'm joining God at work. I'm, try, I'm making this tangible difference through what uh, God has already done for me. Um, and this is a, a very strong promise that Jesus makes. Um, when we set out to, on a life to, to make disciples, we know that he's going to be there with us. If you want the Holy Spirit to walk alongside you, all you got to do is go out and make disciples. We're joining Christ at work. Um, David Platt says this, It makes little sense for us to keep asking, What do you want me to do, God? The answer is clear. The will of God is for you and me to give our lives urgently and recklessly to make the gospel and glory of God known among all people. Um, some of us want to know, hey, God, what's your will for my life? And this is what Jesus says. He says it's to go and make disciples. He wants us to make disciples. So whatever it is that you're on, whatever journey that looks like, um, go and make disciples. Now, this could start at several different places. Maybe you're, you're someone that's like, you know, I believe this. I, I want to get involved. I want to join God at work. And maybe you're just looking for a, a, a church to attend. 
And maybe that's your first step. Well, we'd love to have you here at Relevant Church. There's also other great churches around. Um, and, and so find that church that you can get plugged into, that you can learn, that you can um, be developed in. Go to that church. Get plugged in. Maybe your next step is you've been coming to church here. Maybe you just need to get involved. Listen, we have great opportunities to get involved here. Um, with, with our reserve team, those, these are all the people that you see um, at the front door holding signs, people that set up the coffee, um, the people that sit back there at the tech table and, and work on the sound so that you have a distraction-free environment. Um, maybe your next step is helping people grow into a relationship with Christ through serving in one of those areas. And if that's you, you can get with Lewis. Lewis will help you. He'll, he'll tell you all you need to know about serving here at Relevant Church. Um, but maybe for you, that, that next step is, listen, I've never talked about my faith outside of the church. Um, maybe your next step is, I've never even thought about what happened at church after I left on Sunday morning. So a couple of steps for you there. One, we have regroups. Get involved with the regroup. It's a great opportunity for you to go, for you to learn more, for you to build relationships. And through these relationships, maybe these people can help you to um, to develop and and to to learn what to say in in order to lead somebody to Christ. But it's an opportunity where you can still consider what was said during the sermon and you can think about it and talk about how it affected you. Maybe it affected this person differently than it affected affected you, but maybe you can learn from what they have to say. Um, It's a chance for us to to love across boundaries um, and for us to build those relationships. that just doing life together, that's a way that we can we can join God at work. Um, but maybe you're someone else. Maybe you're someone that's that's not a Christian in this room. Um, but what I want to tell you is that God sent his son for you. You don't have to keep living life the way that you're living life now. God sent his son for you so that he would die on the cross and that he would raise from the dead so that you could be pardoned from your sins. So the things that you've been doing, that that you're you're thinking, why do I keep doing these things? Listen, God is still at work today. You're here for a reason, and that's because God is still working. Um, God is still working, and he's still here, and he's doing uh, his work today. Um, And so if you want to join in that work, um, all you have to do is just ask him. Just, Lord, you can bow your heads right now, and you can say this with me if, if that's you. Lord we love you and just thank you for uh, dying on the cross for me thank you for being that sacrifice so that today I can live as a sacrifice for you Lord help me on this journey and help me to just um, walk along in the work that you are already doing in your name I pray